Welcome to the intersection of Black culture and horticulture with your girl, Cola B. Talking. And guess what, y'all? We Black in the garden. Hey. Soil cousins, hey, thank you for joining us on this episode of Black in the Garden. In case you didn't take note in the introduction, I am Cola B. Talking, your hostess with the mostest, and I am here to guide you at the intersection of Black culture and horticulture. And on this episode, I am very excited to actually present to you your opportunity to take part in helping us to grow. Now, you know, if you're listening to this podcast in most podcasts, not all of them, but most podcasts are free for you to listen to, meaning this is entertainment or enlightenment, education, whatever you want to call it. This is content that is free for the users. Interestingly enough, it is not free to create content. I mean, depending on what all you're doing. But in this situation, I have definitely put in not only effort and consideration, creativity and energy and all of that, but I've definitely invested coins. All right. And speaking of coins, here's an opportunity for you to not only support Black in the Garden, but also win some. Okay, there is a giveaway that is going on in conjunction with the survey that you can find in the show notes right now. As a matter of fact, stop what you're doing if you can. Take a look at the show notes, click the link for the survey, and go and take five minutes to go ahead and do that. I'm talking to you. Look look to your left, look to your right. Not, not none of them, but you. You right there who is listening to the sound of my voice. This survey is for you. Perhaps you were you had not been able to support Black in the Garden monetarily by becoming a patron. That's fine. Maybe you didn't share it yet. I don't know why you haven't done that, but you still should. But right now in this moment, take a few minutes to go ahead and get in the show notes and do the survey that will help me to understand what... Why are you listening? Why you like this show? What you want from this show? What more could we do to add value to you as a listener and as a soil cousin and supporter of this podcast? It is very simple. Do the survey and that way I can hear back from you. Y'all hear from me all the time, like every single episode. It's just me talking. And this is a way for you to communicate with me. Uh, You may know by now in case you did not. All right. Black in the Garden, as far as Apple Podcasts goes, because that's where we get those metrics where we can kind of, you know, see what people are saying in the form of reviews. We have five stars there. So that's good. As far as charts go, Apple is the only platform that registers, you know, some kind of ranking system of podcasts. I'm not doing it for all the rankings and stuff, but I will say that I'm very happy and proud to say that we have been doing really well on those charts. We have definitely broken the top 10 home and garden charts on uh, Apple Podcasts in the United States. And we have done that in several other countries, South Africa, shout out to y'all. We've also done so in Canada. And that's just a few. I mean, I could tell you some more later, but the whole point is this. Black in the Garden is lit. It's popping. 
And it's going to be that much more lit and popping with your participation. So go ahead and do that survey. All right. And if you know anybody else, your friends, family members or whoever that are into Black in the Garden, make sure that you pass it along to them as well, because it is very important that I hear back from you concerning what we're going to do going forward with the future of Black in the Garden. Because guess what? We Black. No, I'm just playing. Guess what? We are three seasons in. We are more than a year in and we have seen, I have seen, oh my God, we, let's just keep it all in in the family. Amazing growth. Just things that I never had even imagined were going to be happening, have happened. Opportunities are coming up. But in consideration of what we're going to be doing on season four, I just need to hear from you. Season four, five, all of that. The future of Black in the Garden rests on you. No pressure though. No, don't, don't feel no pressure. But just take that time to go ahead and do that survey, just a few minutes, and you could be, you will, not could, you'll be entered to win the grand prize, one uh, cash prize of $100. It's going to be in a gift card, but it's going to be a cash gift card. And then two other gift cards for $50 respectively. So there will be three winners. All of the details are listed in the show notes. So that's that. And we have a, a really dope episode coming up for you with our hosts from Detroit Hives, this community organization that is... I am such a fan because these two individuals, Tim and Nicole, are truly innovators, creators, creatives in their own right, as in having taken that creative creative innovation, that's what I'm trying to say, and coming up with a way to encourage healing and like taking taking into their own hands, the ability to really take control of a part of their own personal healing and contributing to their communities just by thinking outside of the box and how can we give back. So that is how Black history is made, just by doing things in your community that are different and engaging. And that really excites and motivates and encourages and inspires people. So that is what I'm looking forward to you getting from this episode. Such an amazing conversation that we had, and I'm very much looking forward to you hearing that. Uh, We're going to hear from the kids right quick on pollinators. I'm pretty sure this segment came up in an episode before, but it is just so timely in this episode that I am going to run that segment again. So we can just talk about the pollinators, get us in the mood to understand the importance of pollinators and how it applies to this particular conversation. Hives, if you hadn't figured it out by now, is specifically relating to beehives, uh, where the bees live. (laughs) We are all plant enthusiasts. And as plant enthusiasts and partakers of this content that you are receiving here on Black in the Garden, it's very important to understand how everything is connected and how pollinators play such an important role in the way that everything is connected with plants and the creatures 
who love them. So I hope that you all enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Get into the pollinator segment with the kids in the garden and Nadia, who is our resident entomologist. And I'll talk to y'all on the other end. (laughs) Guess what? Way back in the garden. We were talking about what they eat. Like I said, the adults don't eat leaves, but they do eat pollen and they do eat nectar. So they're considered pollinators. You ever heard that word before, pollinator? Mm-hmm. I remember it's pollinator. It's a bug that pollinates plants. Yes. So, yes, what they do is they go to the flowers and they'll take pollen from one flower and they'll put it onto another flower and that'll cause the flower to be uh, pollinated, which means it'll make a fruit. Um, so they help a lot of plants, you know, make seeds and things like that. And so they're, they're very important in that aspect is that we need them to be pollinators. So we got to keep them around. I know everybody hears about bees being pollinators and, Mm -hmm. you know, butterflies and stuff like that, but there's a lot of different insects that are pollinators. Can you name an animal that's not an insect that's a pollinator? Um, oh, a hummingbird. Yes, hummingbirds. Can you think of one, Irie? Mm. An animal that helps pollinate the flowers. Hmm. So it's an animal that flies, that comes out at night, and it flies, and it's a mammal. Sometimes we, it makes us think about vampires. A bat. Yeah, so bat, yes. So fruit bats, they actually help pollinate flowers and things like that, so... There's a lot of different pollinators out there that we have to protect because if we don't have them, we don't have the uh, fruits that we want to eat and things like that. So they're very important. Wow. So you guys have any questions? Mm-hmm. What's your question? What's it all about? What do lightning bugs actually do to help plants? Well, they help pollinate plants. And then their, their larvae, they'll actually eat some insects that might damage plants. So they help in that aspect as well. Can you think of an insect that might damage your plants? Maybe a grasshopper? Yes, grasshoppers do cause damage. Did you know they eat eat more than grass? Grasshoppers eat grass. They eat grass, but they eat other other vegetation as well. They'll Hmm. eat all types of plants. Hmm. How about caterpillars? Oh, yeah, because they eat the plants. Yeah, they eat don't. But caterpillars, if you don't have caterpillars, guess what you don't have? What? Butterflies and moths. Oh, yeah, because caterpillars <laughs> are babies. Yeah, they're baby butterflies. That's it. Yes. So people get mad at the caterpillars for eating up their plants, but then they love the butterflies. <laughs> people don't really like moths, even though moths are just the night butterflies. But, yeah, they get mad at the butterflies. Butterflies and they get mad at the caterpillars, but they love the butterflies and moths. So you can't you can't have one without the other. You have to have them both. <laughs> you still need caterpillars because if you don't have caterpillars, then you don't have butterflies, which pollinate the plants. Exactly, exactly. So we have to appreciate them all. Even the even the even the baby stage that's destructive. There's things you can do to prevent them from destroying your plant. Sometimes people, they'll grow extra plants and put those caterpillars on there and let them feed on those. And then sometimes, you know, 
your plant can take a little damage. I mean, a lot of the stuff that we eat, we don't always eat the leaves anyway. As long as the caterpillar doesn't eat all the leaves up, the plant will be all right and it'll recover. So we just got to have appreciation for, you know, this is this is this caterpillars is what is called their host plant, which means it's the plant that they feed on. Certain caterpillars, they only eat certain plants. And then some of them eat a, a multitude of different plants. Can you name one caterpillar that's very picky with what it eats? It only eats one type of plant. Can you name a butterfly caterpillar that does that? It's a big orange and black butterfly. I don't know what those are called. You don't remember what it's called? You know what I'm I talking about? You ever seen one before? Uh-huh. Where'd you see one? Um, monarch? What'd you say, Isis? Monarch. Yes, correct. Monarch. So they're, they're caterpillars. They only feed on a plant called milkweed. And the plant is actually toxic. And what the caterpillars do when they're feeding, they actually absorb some of those toxins into their skin. And that protects them from birds and things coming in and eating them. Because when the birds try to eat them, they'll taste them and they'll realize, oh, this is nasty and this is toxic and I don't want to eat this. And so what happens is you can't put those caterpillars on any other plant. They won't eat it. They're strictly, they strictly eat milkweed leaves. And so if you try to put them on, say, a collard green or something else, they would die because that's not their host plant. Today on Black in the Garden, we are joined by two co-founders of Detroit Hives. Nicole and Timothy, I am super excited to learn all about everything that you have going on. Welcome to Black in the Garden. Great. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Of course. I'm going to start with the question that I'm asking everybody this season, which is, when did you first realize that plants were an important part of your life? I think by me being sick and trying a lot of home remedies or what I thought was home remedies Mm -hmm. to also taking over-counter medication. To even go to a doctor, you know, I was desperate for answers. And I came across the power mm. of local raw honey. And one of the key reasons of, or the key ingredients of local raw honey is having native plants within your local region. So I began to mm. understand the importance of, of dandelions and clover. Things that I thought were weeds were actually wildflowers that have high medicinal value. And wow. then from there, I began to just learn more about native plants and how they're used as healing properties and how bees take the nectar from the native plants. And that's what makes honey. They take the yeah. nectar and process it to honey. So just learning about what those native wildflowers had to offer for us medicinally, but also how they help with bees and pollinators as well. Now, what about you, Nicole? Pretty much the same thing. Just seeing how the power of local raw honey healed him because he was dealing with a cold adolescent for two months. And, you know, we were thinking about many ideas to do within our community at the time. And once we saw that the honey healed them, I said, hey, why don't we turn a vacant lot into a bee farm? And so with learning about bees, we found out, of course, flowers are their main source and only source of food where they get their nectar and pollen from. Mm -hmm. So that's how flowers were introduced to me that I started caring about flowers. Now, previously, my mom is an outdoor person. I was never an outdoorsy person. So, okay, flowers, yeah, they're pretty. I'll see them there. But it wasn't this personal thing to me until he became sick and it was the power of the local honey that came from the flowers and learning about 
weeds and learn that they're medicinal and they have all these healing powers that it became personal to me that I started really paying attention. That's brilliant. Really, it's like at the core, almost like a miracle, if you will. I don't know if that's too strong of a word, but this nectar of the bees, maybe that's not the best choice of words because they actually consume the nectar, but y'all get what I'm trying to say, everybody. So you mentioned native, everything is connected. And that's one of my favorite things is like finding those connections. You started out ill. You weren't thinking about flowers or bees, I imagine. And then it's like, I'm sick. And would you say it was intuitively, because this is what most would consider a holistic remedy. Did you immediately seek that intuitively or were you um, like it was an experimenting accident. with it was, it was an accident, accident. so oh, i was actually going more. to a convenience store it's not too far from where we do a lot of our advertising work my mm-hmm. background is a, i'm a creative i went I to the that. store to probably get some snacks to head back to our office and start editing in the midst of having the snacks i just kept coughing and kept coughing that the store owner recognized <laughs> it and he said young man you should try some of some of our local raw honey can help with your cough as soon as he oh. said that, I laughed. I'm like, it's not going to work. And he gave me this long story on how uh, local raw honey provides so many additional benefits. And mm. from there, I said, you know, I'm desperate. Let me just try it because I never got local raw honey. Never heard of local raw honey. And for sure, never bought anything directly from a beekeeper. So he sold me on it. I tried it. And within three weeks of consuming it, it got rid of my cough and cold. And that's why I began Whoa. to learn more about its medicinal properties and how it's great to consume if you're pre-diabetic doing diabetes or what have you. You just said a lot. So I'm like, yo, let's unpack that. Cool. Okay. First of all, just me being nosy, what kind of snacks was it? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Definitely going for like some pops, some juice, some... Oh, oh, the bullshit. He did to stay up. Oh. Okay. It's a convenience store. It's like one of those stores you go and get some snacks. They get a long white tea. This store is in a suburban area. So they have the snacks, you got the good, the healthy stuff as well. So you got the nuts, fruit, and in this case, local raw honey. That's a whole nother conversation, yeah. ain't it? About <laughs> yeah. the difference between the quality of the snacks in the hood versus yeah. the mm-hmm. corner store in the suburbs. Absolutely. Literally, that's we gonna we gonna leave that over there because that's another conversation. <laughs> but so you were in the suburbs. Was the beekeeper also the shopkeeper, or the beekeeper was just selling their local honey in there? The beekeeper was just selling their local honey there. He has a good relationship with the store owner. Mm-hmm. And the store owner said, hey, I know a beekeeper. This honey is local, it's raw, it's the real deal. And I'm sure it can help with your cough and cold that you have. And I didn't think it would work. So I played it's, it off, but it, you yeah. know, I was desperate and I, and I wanted to try to see what, what it can do. Absolutely. You were new to it. It was a new concept to you. So you were naturally skeptical. That's understandable. That is yeah. totally understandable. But imagine if you would not have taken his advice. Where would we be? Where would you be? <laughs> we wouldn't oh, be doing man. this. That's an alternate reality. We're going to save that for the sci-fi series yeah. that that will undoubtedly we be on. We were thinking about ideas and things to do within our community and repurposing, making lots of reimagining those. We had mm. many ideas at the time. So reversing back around the summer of 2016, there was an article that was saying that the, the city of Detroit currently had 90,000 vacant lots and that they didn't have a, a budget in place to tend to these vacant lots or to put new homes in some of these vacant mm-hmm. areas or businesses. So they were looking right. for residents. They were looking for nonprofit 
organizations and community block clubs to hopefully buy back some of these vacant lots to address some of the major issues in the community around blight, crime, food deserts, things of that nature. So Nicole yeah. and I figured we can do a project together. We can take a vacant lot. After all, they were going for a, a, as little as $100 at the time. Whoa, we said, hey, we can do pennies. Cool. Yeah, yeah, so yes. at the time, there was so much development happening in downtown Detroit, so many corporations moving in, but our communities were left, kind of just left out in the dark. There was nothing really happening in the community. Nobody was investing in the community. And we said, hey, let's find a way to create an opportunity where we can bring our community together and we can attract investors mm-hmm. from these areas. But I think more importantly, we want to find a way to change the narrative of what most people think about inner city communities. You know, Detroit sure. has had a bad rep for so many so many years. It's like, it's the place where you don't want to go. So we thought about ridiculous ideas <laughs> that you couldn't find in Vega Live. It was ridiculous. Like a, a peacock farm. Give me some example. urban a zoo. A peacock farm. Uh, Y'all was out the box. I love that you, I love that you led, you led with Peacock Farm. I'm like, yo, I I would have actually came up to Detroit for that. I feel like y'all would have been like the first black owned Peacock Farm ever. Please do. You really going to recreate like a mini Zamunda in one of these parking lots. (laughs) And I really want to go. We also thought about an outdoor campsite. Once again, we want to find ways we can bring people, investors, or drive dollars back into the community, whether it's through Airbnb, where someone can create an urban camping experience, maybe explore a convenience store locally in the area for food. You know, just some really fun, cool thing to do. Y'all are visionaries. (laughs) So all of these are- From one to the other. No, seriously, (laughs) because I am a visionary. I claim it. I don't even try to be shy or cute about it. I'm like, and from one to the other, I see y'all. That's some visionary shit right there, like for real. And y'all can cuss on here because I'm cussing as well. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, we had an idea for a community garden Mm -hmm. and then an outdoor photography studio. And these were just great ideas that we had on our vision board. We would think about them every now and then. We would see them on our vision board. But Mm -hmm. in actuality, we would go back to our nine to five jobs and that would be pretty much the end of it. And that's where Mm -hmm. it got personal. Things got really personal with me around December of 2016 when I had this really bad cough and cold that I could mm-hmm. not get rid of and I tried everything from X, Y, and Z to coming across the power of local raw honey it helped get over my cough and cold began to learn so much about local raw honey the importance of it being local I began to buy all that he had in the store that I said you know what you know I want more of it and unfortunately the store owner said you want more honey you probably want to buy a large bulk of it from the farm, which is probably in Capac, Michigan. And that was like somewhere between two or three hours away. And I just hmm. felt that that wasn't reasonable for me. And I said, you know what? You know, I, I don't know where to do. So Nicole put two thoughts, you know, a few things together and say, how about we transform a vacant lot into a bee farm opposed to all the other ideas we were thinking about? And that sounded extremely ridiculous, too, at the time. <laughs> ridiculous. But y'all think big. Like, yeah. I'm going to be honest. I'm still stuck on the peacock farm, but we're going to get through this. But we still want to do it. And what you're also indicating, my favorite part is like changing the narrative. So you're like, what could we do in this community that nobody would expect to be Absolutely. here? It sounds like that was kind of the theme. Like if you drove past this after you got your 40 and your Newports from the corner store and you, you would yeah. look twice, you'd be like, is that a peacock? Wow. <laughs> But on the subject of community and, well, the hood, that's how I like to say it. Because when I refer to urban 
I mean that in the technical way where we're talking about like the city or inner city or whatever. But when I say the hood, especially when I'm talking to black people, which is all I do on the show, when I say the hood, we understand what what I mean when I say that. So with that in mind, can you walk us through a little bit about the history of Detroit and how it got to the point where, because like everybody kind of knows that there's a situation in Detroit that there was a depression, essentially. Can you kind of make the connection between that and how you came to start reimagining what you could do with those spaces? So I'll say the downfall of Detroit was when the auto industry left the city and pretty much started going out to the suburbs. Well, actually, the riots was going on. Then they left out of the city because of that. Detroit never recovered from the 67 riots, like never. 1967. Yes, 1967 riots. So it never recovered from that point. And mm-hmm. then that was pretty much is demise for its decline pretty much after that. So mm-hmm. a lot of people start moving out of the city, going into the suburbs. The auto industry pretty much moved out of the city and was going into the suburbs. And then people started moving out. And then we went through the bankruptcies and people not wanting to move back to Detroit. Those houses mm-hmm. were pretty much abandoned, left. And then eventually, because people weren't in them, that they had to be knocked down. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so yeah. all time I graduated from high school, pretty much everybody at that time was like, oh, I'm not saying Detroit. There's nothing to do in Detroit. There's nothing for me in Detroit. Oh, oh I'm going to Atlanta or I'm going here and there. Chicago or something. In Detroit. Mm, I appreciate that because I did make this assumption that y'all are born and raised or at least like residents long enough to know the history of it. Born and okay. raised. Exactly. Boom. I just wanted to kind of unpack the history of it a little bit. I'm aware that that was an issue, but I wasn't entirely clear on the fact that it, it's it been so long. In other cities where there's been that kind of a similar situation, what we end up seeing later on down the line would be like gentrification. And that kind of like revitalizes an area. Is that something that's not yeah. happening there? No, no, I missed that part. Yes. So Dan Gilbert came in. He bought up a lot of the properties in downtown Detroit. So when they started wanting to revitalize Detroit, it was centered all downtown. And mm-hmm. then I guess other people start coming in and seeing how cheap it was to buy parts of the city and own property in the city that they kind of came in and started building out certain little neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And the gentrification started to happen. And I'm pretty sure they probably told their friends that hey, you should come to Detroit. Super cheap, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not all of Detroit is completely rebuilt. It's still a lot of places that need help. But, you know, you can see the cities, the neighborhoods where you can see the gentrification is happening. And so we're at a point now where the community's kind of been complaining about it. Like, OK, you know, we've been here. We never left. We need to get these same type of opportunities Mm. as well. Mm -hmm. That's where y'all come in, right? Mm -hmm. Y'all some visionaries. (laughs) Y'all 2016 is what you're saying. Not too long after some of that development started to happen. Mm -hmm. So tell us about the communities or the community, whichever one applies. It is that you serve. Overall, we serve the Detroit community. Been born and raised in the city of Detroit all our life. I grew up on the northwest side of Detroit, but also I attended Wayne State University, which is located somewhere on the east side, downtown Detroit. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the whole city of Detroit is my whole community, my home. So with that in mind, we currently exist in 13 locations that make up vacant lots that we buy back from the city of Detroit. 
Mm-hmm. And we also partner with local schools and also partner with community organizations and community gardens. So they're predominantly uh, people of color locations in the Detroit area. So the same for me, I grew up born and raised in Detroit. Um, I grew up on the west side. Mostly my mother's side is on the west side, and my daddy's side is on the east side. I when, like that. When, yeah. <laughs> it's a very west side story. <laughs> right. Yeah. So when people ask, like, oh, what neighborhood you serve? I said, I serve Detroit. Detroit is mm. all of mine. As much as They're like, what's that you claim? Right. Yeah. <laughs> when we read that article, we knew it was a lot of vacant lots in Detroit, but we didn't know it was to that extent. You know? How many was it? 90,000 90, with three zeros after yes. that. Wow, that is yeah. quite a bit. The combined acreage of that sounds yeah, tremendous. It's large. It's large and y'all got 13 lots. We currently own five lots that we have. But outside mm-hmm. of the five lots, partnering with local schools, community organizations, and community gardens as well. And so when you partner... What does that look like? Your goal is to come in and be the B experts. Tell us how that works. A little bit of both. We support the education and conservation of pollinators. So that looks like working with a a community garden to uh, host hives at that location. Mm -hmm. And when you host hives at a community garden, it's a great partnership. We provide food security for our pollinators, whereby Mm. uh, those honeybees, they have places to forage for nectar and pollen. And in return, our pollinators provide food security for the community. And whenever you have honeybees visiting your fruits and your vegetables, you're guaranteed to see an increase in your food population. So honeybees provide food security for us as well. That hit me in the right place and something for everybody to keep in mind because it takes me back to when I was ignorant. I didn't know like I know now, but I remember when they were like, save the bees so we can save the earth. This was like, I don't know, maybe let's say like 10 years ago or something. And just being so clueless and not understanding what that meant. Why should we give a shit about bees? Do they pests? People see bees. And what do they do? Especially Black people. Because, you know, we don't like bugs like that. Run. <laughs> the last thing on many of our minds is the concept of saving this bug that we don't understand. We don't understand how the vitality of this species or this creature, for lack of a better word, is actually directly connected to our survival. I think we, at one point we did understand. We were uh, masters of the garden. We were masters at farming. Mm. We were masters at growing our own food. And somewhere yes. along the line, we lost that connection from our great-grandparents that we started going to stores and buying our food and not growing our own food. Because when you grow your own food, you understand that you need to have that particular vegetable or fruit pollinated by a pollinator. And you understand mm-hmm. the importance and you understand where it comes from and you understand that everything has a season and a harvest and you appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I think we just lost way of that because like, I come from my grandmother having farms and working on the farm. And from there, a lot of people transport or move back to the city where they want to work in an office. They want to work in a nice corporate job. They don't want to work in the farm. And mm-hmm. it kind of did away with that. And we lost that tradition, you know. Every year, Black History Month, we try to highlight Black excellence or the, those that study a great achievement in science. And we came yes. across some really great scientists that were inspired by bees. Name them, please. Absolutely. Yes. So particularly like Shirley Ann Jackson, she uh, was a very young girl. She used to play with bumblebees. And just from that encounter oh and engaging with nature, she grew up to be the first... Uh, first Black woman to graduate from MIT with a degree in physics. 
Absolutely. Tell and me great. her name again. I wrote down Shirley Ann Jackson because like I'm literally I'm learning along yeah. with everybody listening. What was the second name you said? No, her name is Shirley Ann Jackson. And she was also an inventor. She had been in call waiting, okay. caller ID. I remember hearing about yeah. the per yeah. But you also have uh, Charles Henry Turner. Mm-hmm. Charles Henry Turner. I'll let you kind of oh, okay. Charles Henry Turner. Yes, Nicole Piper. <laughs> Charles Henry Turner was a black man who studied zoology and he studied science. So at the time when he graduated from school, of course, he's looking for a college to work for Mm -hmm. to do his research and then advance his learning. Him and George Washington Carver were actually competing, well, not competing, but applying for the same jobs. A job at Tuskegee Normal or Tuskegee University as it is now. We got into that in season yeah. one. We did a two-parter on George Washington Carver, the oh, GOAT. Oh, sweet. Give um, him the respect he de- deserves. Yeah. Yes, go ahead. He's more than just the peanut man. Yeah. yeah. That was the whole point of the episode. It's like, y'all, yeah. he did a gang of other stuff. Get into yeah. it. Booker T. Washington didn't right. have the budget to hire both of them. And so mm. he ended up not being a professor at Tuskegee. He ended up, he tried to apply everywhere else. But, you know, at his time, they were not looking to hire anybody Black that was well-educated than any of them. So hmm. he ended up actually working for a middle school and a high school. So his lab became the park that was in his neighborhood. This man mm. went out there and studied bees in their native space. Now, I know that's difficult because you don't know which bee is which. So he would sit yeah. there and watch them faithfully studying it, using that space. You know, you can't stop no black person from doing what they want to do. You know, he gonna take sure them send them into lemonade and whatever mm-hmm. else. So mm-hmm. <laughs> he studied, he took that moment, that space and studied those bees and discovered that bees can see colors and shape. Yeah, so in essence, he was the first yes. African-American to discover that bees to see shape and color, which yeah. is really fascinating. Yeah, and this the first so- person, not the first African American, the first, American, first, first person to make person. this discovery person. was black. You heard it here first. Yeah, well, probably not first, but first there's person. a good likelihood yeah. that this is the first time. It's first for me. Yeah, and this is so something we had to find out on our own. This was not given to us in our beekeeping courses or anything. Yeah, yeah. You're not taught this. In general, we just, yeah. like you said, George Washington yeah. Carver, even with all of the amazing things that he accomplished, still somehow was relegated to one thing, right? We are not a monolith. I mean, that's yeah. not what that is referring to, but still, that's always worth saying that Black people are not a monolith. Get it yeah. get it in your head. And with George yes. Washington Carver bringing beekeeping to Tuskegee University. I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah. Today. Yep. See, I knew I had the right people so, on this show. Yep. I so knew it. It was part of their curriculum. So everybody had to learn about beekeeping mm-hmm. at that time at Tuskegee. They had an apiary out there. And what's interesting is they still to this day have an apiary. And we need to go up there and visit the apiary. Yeah. Y'all, take me. <laughs> no, because it's not that far from where I'm at. So for real, okay. for real. Like when you yeah, go, just great. give me a heads up. We'll do like a whole live. So it'll be lit. I mean, yeah. you know, can't really be doing all that right now, but y'all keep me on your list for that. Yeah. Now let's get into beekeeping. Y'all are beekeepers and y'all started beekeeping together. See, I'm trying not to make focus on your relationship. How long have y'all been together? I just feel like that's relevant. Going on a little over five years. Congratulations. Y'all are doing great. Your shirts are matching. Couple goals. Come on now. And the by the way, y'all, we're going to get into your, you know, all your dot coms and stuff at the end, but their shirts 
say Detroit is the place to be with a B. Oh, I thought, yep, it's got a little drip on it. That's the honey drip. So y'all will see me in the shirt probably before this episode even come out. But yes, so y'all are beekeepers. Could you take us on that journey a little bit as to how you started with that? Because, you know, it started with you recognizing the health benefits of honey and led to everything else, but you had to get your your certification. So tell us how that went. Were y'all like the only black people in there? Surprisingly, no. We took two courses. We were the only ones in our first course in Royal Oak. You know, Royal Oak is a suburban area, not too far from down, you know, from Detroit. Detroit. When we took our second course, we took two courses. So when we took our second course, surprisingly, we were not the only Black in the chorus. What was that um, like, though, when you saw the other Black people? Was it like, hey, was it like that oh, yeah. in my mind? Like, surprise. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> what you typically find is a lot of older seniors that are really interested that in maybe they retire or maybe they want to return back to farming. You know, a lot of them remember farming as a child and they're returning oh, back to that as well. Nice. But uh, you really didn't find too many people, uh, millennials or Gen Zs, uh, okay. to be keeping at the time. That's a whole demographic that is. So y'all came in there being young, black and proud. All right. And you said you did two courses, like two separate courses. Yeah. With two different uh, instructors. and Yeah. So the first course was uh, we're going to pack everything in in two weeks and you're going to learn everything. The Mm -hmm. second course was we're going to take you to a more extensive hands on course. It's mm-hmm. about four months, and plus on top of that, you're going to receive a certification. So we wanted mm-hmm. to have also the certification and more hands-on experience. Yeah. I'm just imagining you're taking the courses, but you're also already aware of the benefits that Honey has. You sound like you're proactive enough to where you were doing something. Were you like doing your own outside research on like the plants that bees are attracted to? Like, just talk us through that a little bit. Not in the beginning phases, no. I think we were just learning more about how bees made honey mm-hmm. and learning more about honeybees. And then once we took courses, it was more so how to keep honeybees, mm-hmm. different types of honeybees, how to inspect the hive, how to extract honey. You know, just pretty much the operations of beekeeping. That's what we were really uh, taking in courses. Outside of that, um, we wore many hats. So we see ourselves more than I would just say beekeepers. Once again, visionaries, uh, we see ourselves as environmental artists. See ourselves as not That's a new one. You said environmental artists? Yeah. yeah. I also say at the time, too, we're taking the courses. We were mapping out areas where we were looking for as vacant lots. And then we got our bees, the first course from an instructor there. Then by the time we had the second course, we were placing our, we already had a bees placed there on a the lot. And then mm-hmm. we didn't get a lot until a couple months mm-hmm. afterwards that we officially had it. But we saw the lot, we envisioned it, we said this is our land. We claimed and it. And we claimed it, placed the bees yes. there, start keeping them as we're taking classes and you know, learning what to look for in a class and then bring it back to the space. But there's also another piece that Nicole probably left out is the civic engagement, civic and community engagement piece. Yes. While we also had the vacant lot and placing bees on there, there was another process happening as the bees was helping to transform the area and visit the flowers, we were also working to transform the area by removing a lot of blight on this vacant lot. So that also created a community Mm. engagement opportunity where we work with the community to kind of address issues that they were facing in the neighborhood. And that's one, is someone needs to tend to this vacant lot because it's lowering the value of our community. It's also promoting all type of activity that they did not want as far as loitering and crime activity. 
So just by activating that space, we had support from the community. And just yes, I love that you said activating the space. Mm-hmm. That's so powerful. Yeah. I don't know. It just yeah. hit different. And that's what residents want. Residents, they're not looking for someone to come in and then I think just monopolize the area, raise everything up and make it not inclusive for folks. And that's what that's the whole point of civic engagement is creating spaces that are inclusive for all. And using mm-hmm. their input, creating a collaborative effort in, a, in that way. So I think when you're looking at spaces, they're looking for spaces that are safe for their children. They're looking for spaces where they can walk up and yeah. down and have to have to worry about glass being broken on the street, no one's cleaning up. Or looking for spaces that when they're walking down the sidewalk, it's been plowed, you know, to make mobility away of, of snow. Or mm-hmm. just trying to remove a lot of the trash that's in the area because it really does play on your on your psychology when you see a lot of vacant lots and trash everywhere. It, it does. You, you, tend, you tend to not care about your surrounding it, or sometimes yourself. I'm so glad that you said that because in my mind, I'm like, it's an oasis that you're creating. And I want to just talk a little bit about that connection between beautifying a space, which is something that happens naturally when you come in with plants and especially flowers and gardens. You are beautifying the space. When you walk through a beautiful space, it just hit different. Like I said a minute ago, you don't, your shoulders are more relaxed. You know what I mean? You are looking around. Beauty has a scientifically proven effect on us as humans. So shout out to y'all for being the visionaries that you are and recognizing the need for us to beautify these spaces because of what it can do for us on so many levels. That's brilliant. And we also have a thing that we say that, you know, you can't get gangster around flowers. So you can't really see too much gangster activity. (laughs) Kind of see yes. flowers everywhere you go, so it kind of just changed the way your, your your mindset. Yeah, <laughs> that is put that on the next shirt. Come yeah, on now, let's get this merch popping. I love that. Wow, no, you you can't get gangs. I mean, you can, I guess, but you're less inclined to feel like you more calm and relaxed. You can't, you yeah. know, be all stirred up and trying to fight, and you got flowers all in your background. Yo, chill. It's, it's yeah. iris yeah. around us. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Beautiful yeah. flower arrangement. I mean, flower, you know, this landscaping over here, so y'all. Beautiful. Let's yeah. take that somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, that trap look. It's not going to have that trap look that you're looking for. <laughs> we covered a lot. We truly did. This has been brilliant. I don't, I'm like, I'm going to wrap this up, but let me see where, before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about what it was like for you to actually start a nonprofit organization. Even maybe if you would like to talk about the importance of, of our people doing things like that, especially for the purposes that you're doing this for. So when we started learning about bees and everything, we knew that education was going to be a key component. So mm-hmm. we learned so much that we want to spread this education to everybody. We wanted to provide also a space where the kids could actually come and visit something like this. Because when we were kids and in school, we didn't have this opportunity. And then we learned that a lot of beekeeping operations are two, three hours away from mm-hmm. where we stay at. And mm-hmm. The kids want to have a space. Nobody's about to travel two or three hours to to visit that, but it would be cool to have a space there for them. And then as we're learning, of course, we had the fear of bees and that fear transformed into love because we Mm. were misidentifying bees as wasps. So a lot of times since we're in the late summer, people are identifying these yellow jackets as bees because Mm -hmm. they're black and yellow. And so we want to spread that education. And a lot of people really don't understand. I think you have to really understand 
wasps and why they do what they do. It takes a very patient virtue mind to understand a wasp, even though it's flying in your face, mm-hmm. it may sting you. That's the part we don't like, though. Like, yeah. <laughs> we gotta also understand that they just wasn't really good stewards of investing in their money or honey, so to speak. So they don't build up honey stores like honeybees. Yeah, they don't produce honey. So a lot of time, mm-hmm. it's like imagine if you're trying to find food for your family. You would do whatever it takes to find food for your family. That's in, that's in essence what they're doing for the colony. So they, they can yeah. smell food on your breath. They can smell food from the barbecue grill. They're just trying to find food. They're very hungry. They know they're going to oh. die out, and they're just trying to survive. The same thing with a lot of people in the community. They will do whatever it takes to survive in the community, you know, by any means necessary. And sometimes people frown upon those people, but you got to really understand that they just need... It's desperation. When you say that, the image that's coming to my mind, the word is like the stick-up kids, right? The, they'll just run up on you, snatch your purse. Jacket. Yeah, yeah. The, the yellow, yellow jackets, jackets everybody call are the stick-up the kids. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, yeah. I mean, naturally, you're going to panic because it's kind of like you have to deprogram yourself from having that kind of response. Mm. But getting this kind of conversation in and disseminating this kind of knowledge or information to my audience, and hopefully that will spread even beyond my audience. That's how we make change, y'all. That's how we make change. Y'all are doing very important work. So we really appreciate you for that. Y'all tell us how we can support you. We definitely welcome everyone to join the Hive. Follow us on social media at Detroit Hives. That's Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Also visit our website, DetroitHives.org. Um, learn about some of our events that we have going on, maybe some of our virtual events, where you can get really cool merch like this. Detroit's a place to be. Get this beast play. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And our honey. And we have candles. Yeah. <laughs> oh, candles. Go off. Wow. Okay, so y'all pretty much just wrapped it all up. So you you gave us your social media handles just now. And your website, we're wanting to basically send money or, you know, make sure that we are supporting in that way that allows y'all to financially do what you need to do. All of those resources, that's the way to go. Just visit our website. There you'll find a donation tab and it'll prompt you where you can make a donation there. Or if you're not able to make a donation via the website, you can uh, visit the address there and send a donation there as well. Shoot us an email as well. And our email is info at DetroitHives.org. Info at DetroitHives.org. A cause that is tremendously worth all of the support that we can possibly generate for you. That is what I'm looking forward to. And I appreciate y'all. So the way I close out the show is I want to wish you love, light, and soil. Be well. Be well. Yes, yes. That was such an amazing interview. And like I said at the beginning, We cannot underestimate the power of our own creativity and the innovation that comes about when we just give that, just plant that seed and and let that grow and figure out what we can do with that in order to serve our community and ultimately make history. It is Black History Month and Black History Year and Black History Forever, Black present, Black future, all that beautiful stuff. So having said all of that, of course, make sure that you check those show notes. If you did not get a chance before this point to stop and do the survey, it is very important that you take that opportunity to give back and support and just, you know, take a moment to let us know what we can do 
in the Black in the Garden community to help us grow and all that beautiful stuff that happens when we all participate. So take note of that. Just hit that little link that is right there in the show notes and do that survey support in that way and any other way that you feel like it. We appreciate you. I appreciate you. You know, if you listen this far, that you are my fave heart emojis. <laughs> and thank you so much for lending me your ears once again. Here's another episode for the books. Season four is coming up, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Thank you once again. And I'll talk to you next time on Black in the Garden. Until then, love, light, and soil.